Hello and welcome to the Celtic Down Under podcast. I'm your host, Jared, and joining me tonight are Sean and Liam. How are you, Sean? Yeah, not pretty. Uh, to be honest, I'm pretty flat out at the moment with work, but um, yeah, pretty good apart from that. Yeah, it's kicking off here now, the summer. It's going to be in the 30s for the next few days. Uh, you'll be right. And I wish, mate, it's real humidity over here in Melbourne, so I'd rather your dry heat you got over there. How are you, Liam? Meanwhile, in Japan, it's coming close to zero. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm very good. Had a great weekend. Um, kind of reminded me of that Hugh Grant film. What was it? Uh, One Wedding and a Hunt Scalping, something like that. <laughs> yeah, congrats, Liam. <laughs> on, Thank uh, you. Married was it on Monday, so um, well done, mate. Happy for you and your and your wife. So yeah. Congratulations. I mean, congratulations. <laughs> I'm just lucky to find someone crazy enough to finally take me. <laughs> hey, just remember this. My, what my mum told my wife when we got married was, he's your problem now. So <laughs> you're her problem. There you go. Oh, but, um, yeah, just a bit of a housekeeping before we get into the podcast. I just want to let, say, um, sorry, there was no podcast last week guys had a bit of a health issue on my side and ended up in hospital so um we're back this week so we'll uh there's a couple of questions that were sent through for our q a we're gonna do so we'll we'll answer them a bit later on in the podcast as well um if you haven't subscribed to the podcast please do so we appreciate that the podcast is growing so it's good to see other than that i'll start the podcast off on a bit of a somber note r.i.p birdie old now, Liam, have you got any birdie stories? Pretty much every Celtic fan's got a birdie story here or there, so I'll throw it to you. And you can, yeah, uh, I mean, there's, there's so many with, with Bertie, and um, you know, I met him at a couple of a couple of club functions when my when I, my family business used to work with Celtic quite closely, and just the the kind of guy who just lights up a room by walking into it, you know, you just I've always, always got a bit of part for you, always got a, a wee funny story or, I mean, probably the most famous one, although I, I wasn't there, but my, my, my dad told me the story was, um, there was a, a do at Celtic Park about, I think it was maybe the, either the 40th or the 50th anniversary of Lisbon. And the, um, the star attraction was the, the British, uh, actor, TV presenter, and supposed comedian, Paddy McGuinness. And the bold Paddy went on stage and made a complete arse of himself. Was just It just did not work. His jokes were, were not going down well. He was offending a lot of the, the older people in the audience. And after 10 minutes, he got dragged off stage. So Bertie stepped up and just regaled the entire audience with one brilliant story after another and, and basically saved the night for everybody and that's just the kind of man that he was you know just able to someone of such character and such uh such humor but also such humility um every time i saw someone ask him for an autograph or ask him for a photo he seemed genuinely taken aback and thankful and grateful that that people thought of him that way. I mean, we rightly will describe Bertie as a Celtic legend for decades to come, but I don't think the man himself would ever have called himself that, you know? I think that's probably the best way to, to sum up who he is and how we remember him. 
if if I remember correctly, that event was uh, after John Joel Perrier Dumbe scored the winner in the Scottish Cup final, and the team all came back to Celtic oh, nice. Park. Uh, I was actually wor- I was working that day. Uh, all right, doing the doing the uh, drink service to the tables. Um, <laughs> Simple Minds were playing as well, but yeah, Paddy McGuinness was absolutely appalling that night, man. He was. He was as if he was jokes were just designed for a stag do. He'd done like some Photoshop of Gordon Strachan with some Chippendales and was making homophobic jokes. And it was like everyone was just looking at each other, like, what is going on here? Is this guy serious? Uh, but yeah, that's you're right. Bertie was always good. Um, between him and Jim Craig doing all the stuff in uh, bars, uh, restaurant, the number seven, and uh, it was because oh, I, I did a lot of shifts there as well. And they two were really, really good quality. The best story that I've heard wasn't one not a personal story, but one that I lifted off Twitter in the last week. Uh, it was one where he was at an event and he was signing lots of stuff for people and he was just basically working his way around the room. And he just turned around to some random guy and goes, do you want me to sign anything for you? And he goes, no, nah, I'm an Angels fan. And he goes, that's all right, I won't do join up Brighton. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's real quick with it and everyone's yeah. got that sort of story, Sean. Like, I've never met the guy personally myself. The only... Uh, Line, Lisbon line I've ever been lucky enough to meet Willie Wallace. So, um, yeah, but the thing is, it just felt like even over here, Bertie just seemed like everyone's favourite, like your favourite, you know, like if you've got a favourite grandpa or favourite uncle or whatever when you're getting to a certain age, he just seemed like that guy that, like from what I've heard, he'd walk into a room, he'd light it up. It's like you go up to him and just say good day to him and it's, like he's known you your whole life sort of thing so yeah gonna be missed by the celtic family he's gonna be missed by all involved in the club and yeah r.i.p birdie hi here yeah yeah so Looking we'll jump the, into sorry i was gonna say the bertie old final but I, I think we'll circle back to that later come on sean you just wrecked my segue mate <laughs> sorry so we're just talking about birdie and you know, you have a look at Hampton on the weekend and there was all the birdie old tributes in both games with us playing on Saturday, Hibs playing on the Sunday. The, um, the we had Celtic won St. Johnson nil in the League Cup, which means we're through to the final. Hibs are getting their, was it, 3-1 win over the Huns on Sunday. It means it's going to be an all green and white cup final. Um, so we'll start off with the game. I... Was because of the medical stuff. I didn't watch the game live. I've only seen the highlights, so I'll let you two discuss the game in in depth. And but I want to start off with the the tifo from the Green Brigade to start off the whole end of the stadium with Birdie. What are your thoughts on that, Sean? Uh, so uh, yeah, they they always do a good job. Uh, sorry, I'm echoing. Uh, they ten, tend to do a good job, the Green Brigade, and I, I, the behind-the-scenes footage and set-up was quite impressive. I think they also had a, a funeral this week as well, the Green Brigade, and they did the whole flares thing at the guy's funeral. Uh, so they put in, it's, it's one of those days, you know, where you're ha- you're very happy and proud of them, uh, in contrast to the, like, €30,000 fine we got as well last week, so... You take the good with the bad, and you know I don't think anyone disagrees with them on days like this. And it's such a conflict, you know. Like ninety percent of the time, they're just amazing, and you just wish they could just stick to that. But you know, what can you do? Mm. 
Yeah, although that's fine. Um, it's too bad that our board don't have the heart to challenge it in court because I don't actually see what UEFA could prove was demonstrably offensive about it. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> as long as you can, well, look, it was offensive to dyslexic people. We can say that. Um, I'm just I wasn't offended. <laughs> oh, did, you, did you read it as kafa? Well, I used to be, but I'm KO now, you know. Anyway. Kafa for air? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, oh, man, I don't know. I just, I can't. It keeps coming up, and we keep just saying the same things. I don't know, man. Do we just accept that we're going to be paying a hundred thousand in fines a year, or what? You know, to support these guys. Do we chuck it on their season tickets? I don't know. I don't know, man. To be honest, UEFA are corrupt to the core, and I think it's a small price to pay to get an occasional jab back at them. Did they not get? They not get fined like three times more than Sevco did for setting off flares and and smoke bombs, something like that. Again, that speaks to UEFA's corruption, doesn't it? Mm. Raisin being, we have we have a history sheet. Yeah, that's but... what they do. It. It's like that's what they do. That's what they say. It's because we find you last season and the season before, so now we're going to find you even more again. And it's a crock of shit. The way I look at it is, the Green Brigade. They there's some things they do that I don't personally agree with, but there's a lot that they do that I do agree with. And the thing is. If it's a hundred grand in fines or fifty grand a year in fines, the amount of funds they raise through food bank drives, other collections and stuff throughout the year, you're pretty much going to break even anyway. So you take the good with the bad, and when you get events like the weekend with what they did, the two things for Birdie, I mean, they're salty fans at the end of the day, so that's okay with me. Aye, I would, I would agree with that. Aye, I don't think anyone's got any bad words to say about what he did on Sunday. It's just we wish it was like that all the time and not petulant at other times. Mm. I don't even think I don't think anyone even disagrees with him on the Bernard Higgins thing. I mean, I I know they're not the only voices, or I think they're just the main ones driving it. Like, yeah, as far as I can tell, pretty much everyone supports them on that. So. We'll be discussing that later on, Sean. So let's leave Sorry. that one and get to the um, get to the game. Just like you was actually discussed the actual match instead of going off on the, on that topic, which is one of the next things to talk about. Yeah, I pretty much had to watch the game twice because I, I I did watch it live on the Saturday night slash Sunday morning uh, at one a.m. and I had been having some fermented barley's uh, starting at about four p.m. So. I was quite a few in and having some vodka Red Bulls to stay awake. Uh, so I did watch it twice. Um, Joe Hart, I still thought it was going to, thought he was going to cost us even the second time I watched it. I was like, oh my God. Didn't stop my heart going in my mouth the second time when he got caught in possession there. But honestly, the whole the whole game was pretty light on chances. It was really kind of ricochets and long shots and a lot of huffing and puffing. That neither keeper really looked too worried and until we we did finally get that breakthrough, and it came from a high press. And uh, from what I'm, I didn't I seen a few replays, and it's kind of inconclusive. But the BBC guys are pretty adamant that it was VAR with the chopped it off uh, for a handball from Jota. But I don't know because they changed that this year, and I'm not actually clear on how that new handball rule works. I don't think yeah, the way the ruling is, you have. Your hand can be in an unnatural position as long as it's 
if your hand's out in an unnatural position, then it will be like it always was. But if your hand's just hanging by your side and the ball touches it, then it's play on. It's ref's mm. discretion. No, but they, they changed it this year, uh, and I'm not entirely clear on the Yeah, that's what changed it to, Sean. No, no, sorry, I mean, uh, no, no. Uh, so so what I mean is last year, it was if the hands, if the ball touched the hand in any way, shape, or form and the build up to a goal, it would be disallowed uh, on VAR. Yeah. But and they've changed that. Like the way you're talking about natural position, like I, I think there's something else about. I, I don't know. Sorry, I can't really. But there's some weird thing about VR reviewed goals and how handballs apply to it. So it's not just the natural position thing that comes into it. But again, I don't know. I can't really explain it well enough. Um, but yeah, the yeah, I, I don't think it would be chopped off anyway. But we, we're going to get VR soon, so it'll be interesting. Do you, I mean? Do you feel like Nick Walsh would have chopped that off? Hmm, that's a difficult one to say, but I I don't think I don't think VAR would have made much of a difference in the Scottish context because remember VAR depends on the competency of the referee to go and have the competency to realise he might need to check it in the first place, and I don't think Nick Walsh is competent enough to even do that. So well, there was also the St Johnson player also handballed it in the build up to the goal, so you can also yeah. say the referee was probably relieved that because I mean what a mess that would have been if they if. James Forrest hadn't scored and they had to go to a VAR and there's two handballs and they're like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what do you, they've been at it for five minutes just trying to figure it out. So would VAR have ruined that game? I don't know. Like, maybe. Like, maybe we're lucky that it's not here to get us into the final. But, um, yeah, we, we were clearly the better team and they were doing their anti-football thing. Again, you can't really blame them. They had their tactics, but um, it wasn't great to watch, to be honest. Uh just, I was relieved at the end. It was a good celebration because I was relieved. You know, It wasn't quite a last-minute winner, but it was a late one in a tense game and a big occasion. I, I think the encouraging thing, though, and I think both of you guys will probably agree with me on this, is looking back at the game, even though you only saw the highlights, Jared, you probably saw the best of the game because it was pretty shite. <laughs> um, the, uh, the reality was that you know, really, the games like that, last season, we would have either drawn or lost. And it's good to see that we can play not great and still come out with a win. Because last season, that wouldn't have happened. That's a game we would have slipped up in last season, I think. we It would probably be nil-nil, probably even after extra time. And then penalties are a lottery. We might have got through, we might not have. But with Ange, I'm confident now we can, even when we're not playing great, we can still get the job done. And that is the, that's the difference between the two games at the weekend. We have an well, off day. We still scrape a 1-0. Rangers have an off day. They get well and truly pumped. So, Well, what I thought, Liam, I agree with what you're saying there. In terms of last year, we would have been a nil-all or... As we would have dropped our bundle and then they would have grabbed the late goal, like a couple of the chances they had there late on. Yeah. Well, that would have gone against us. But I've heard this on said on other pods and I, I agree with it after watching some of the replays. But do you think the birdie thing in the 67th minute just like woke our guys back up, gave them that extra pep in their step that they needed for the last 20-odd, 25, 30 minutes of the game? 
because a lot of other people on the pod are saying that. And mm. from what they've said and what I'm seeing this year, the difference of having a, a united support behind the players on match day looks like a massive difference to me. What do you reckon, I Liam? think that's a two-way street because I think it's giving us a massive boost. Now, On the other hand, Rangers are bricking it with crowds in. They play better to empty stadiums. Whereas do. we the throws on the back. Yeah. And um now now it's the opposite. Now we are getting the crowd and it's pushing us forward. And like you said, I never actually made the connection with the Bertie thing, but looking back on it now that you say that, it makes sense. Because we did seem to get a kind of second wind for that final twenty minutes. Um and yeah, that, that could well have played a factor in it. But you know, on the other hand, you look at the second game of the weekend and, you know, 3-1 down at half time, and <laughs> a lot of orange shirts were leaving the stadium. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> should, should, uh, should I blow my own trumpet and point point out the remind everyone of the shit I got for saying that reason number one and two that we, we lost the 10 was the lack of crowds? And of the shit I got in that article. Hold on. There we go. Blow my own trumpet. <laughs> oh, dude. Yep, that is one I'm in complete agreement with you, Sean. You'll get no argument here. Absolutely. The funny thing is, yeah, I agree with you as well. Like, we're a unique beast of a football club in that they talk about the holy Brendan Rogers, he spoke about the holy trinity of the board, the fans, and the team. Well, the fans and the team are united now. The board, which actually ties into my next topic here, the board. They don't know how to read the room. They've got no idea what's going on. You have a look at the AGM and guys were getting voted voted out in the room and they still kept their spots like Bankier and one other guy. And yeah, there's a massive yeah. issue between us and the, the, the support and the board. But um yeah. It's good to see that, you know, at least you know, we're getting some wins and things are starting to look on the up again as overall and there's positive vibes through the club. In general, um, yeah, yeah, you guys look yeah. into the AGM at all? So just before you go to the AGM, one on what you're saying there, Jared, uh, one message that's been coming out in the last two weeks from Postacoglu has been the one that Rogers had in his first season as well, and it's the whole that the whole everyone contributes to the success, not just the players on the pitch message, like the players that come to training, even if they're not playing, you know, because he was saying that about Urugidi and Shaw, like. You, you come fit and ready and intense to training, you're contributing to the on-field success, even if you're not playing. And Brendan Rodgers had that whole thing with like the dinner lady and the kit man and stuff and all that, you know, like where we go around and thank, thank everyone. Um, so that seems to be coming back, something we didn't really have under Neil Lennon. So that's, yeah. Sorry, I just thought I'd chuck yeah, that in there where you were jump back in there. What you're saying there, they had, that does tie into something I wanted to say, which I forgot about before, but and win him manager of the month. And then mm. when he goes to get his trophy, he's got all his support staff with him. He's got his assistant managers. To me, that's class. Because he's saying, without these guys, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have won this. And he's also gone on the record saying, without the players, everyone at the club doing their job. And he said it in, sight, in the open goal thing with Cy Ferry and was it Slaney or something like that, that he was saying that it, it's an accomplishment for everyone, not just him. So, yeah. It's exactly the same, Sean. It's a good little tie mm. in there. Yeah. 
Aye. And showed a similar level of class when he won the league over here with uh, with uh, Yokohama as well. He made a point of acknowledging every single squad member, even the ones that maybe not even played a game all season. He gave every one of them a shout out, you know, and it was very. Um, again, it's I don't know if it's something that he brought to Japan or something that he picked up from Japan because it does happen quite a lot over here with different teams. But it was really good to see, and it's good to see that continuing now into his Celtic time as well. He was doing that over here as well, though, because when he was in the A-League at Brisbane Raw, when they won the comp and they won their 36 straight or 36 straight undefeated, there was, you see him after the grand final and they won, and he's going around not just shaking all his main players' hands, but he's going to the bench where you've got the young kids who do the preparation and they they play the way that the opponent will so that then they can prepare for games. And he gave them guys credit for that run of results as well. So he's been doing it going way back. Excellent, excellent. That's really good to hear. Just reminded me there, Brendan Rodgers and Chris Commons when he was remember the Invincible Treble season. He's like, ah, oh, giving him Chris Commons out in the pitch round of applause when he played twelve games for Hibs and zero for Celtic. Aye. <laughs> uh, it's almost like the FP Ambrose, I think it was, where he came back after a season on loan yeah. on a flag day, so he could do his backflip. Yep, <laughs> I forgot about that. No one's ever going to forget the man, the legend, Marvin Comper. Oh, God. <laughs> well, this is not a John Terry situation like with Chelsea when you know, they won the Champions League and he wouldn't play and he rocked up full kit wanker. <laughs> <laughs> John Terry does not need a full kit to be a wanker, but that's another story. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, uh, not, I'm not going to make the joke. No. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to bring up Wayne Bridge. No, no. no, no. Hey, talking about Wayne Bridge, there was actually a um, John Terry joined Twitter not long ago, and I saw a video where someone's commented on a on a post to him, going, "So how, how many mums have you have you shagged this week or whatever?" To him <laughs> on a comment, and he's done a video back to the guy, and he goes, "I don't know. Go ask your mum." <laughs> And it's a legit account with a blue tick and everything, and it was actually him. So, no, brilliant. What is due? That's a decent comeback. I'll give him that. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, oh, moving on to our AGM. Move on quickly before I make another joke. <laughs> moving on to AGM. There's a few things there that jumped out to me. There was – I've touched on one about the guys who lost the vote in the room but then still got voted on because of – you know, mates with the guys on the with the biggest shareholdings that outvoted the all the regular, you know, shareholders and the like. But the thing for me, not a single mention of Neil Lennon, not a single mention of old mate Don Mackay, mm-hmm. and apparently the narrative has now changed where Don Mackay and that press was, oh, Andrew's my signing is now. Oh, yeah, he was a Peter, Andrew was a Peter Law signing. So those things were the main things that jumped out to me. Was there anything else that you guys heard or saw from the AGM that you thought was a little bit weird? And with the bankier, cringy statement about Scott Brown, that was a bit weird. That was like I wanted to crawl inside myself and die when he said that. I was like, oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. They're trying to throw... Bruni off so when he rocks up on Sunday or whatever it is, he you know it goes easy on us. 
going easy is not in Bruni's vocabulary. It doesn't matter how he's who he's playing for. Yeah. Yeah. Apart from that, it pretty much went as expected, didn't it? It was the whole Dermot Desmond voting down everything with his block of shares, and yeah, there was nothing really unexpected, was there? The numbers were what we expected. The all the votes were what we expected. All these quizlings got voted back in. Yeah, as you say, the only thing that was really notable was the airbrushing of Don Mackay from history, as if he's not ever been at the club. Even though he was what, on the books since about March, wasn't he? Till mm. August. So he was there for, I think, four months. Like six months. I wish they would just declare, I wish the major shareholders would just declare their voting intentions before we have the AGM, because there's no point in those people going there, voting for, for a majority for something to change, and then it doesn't change because the majority of shareholders are like, nah, I don't fancy that. Um, well, no, about that though, Liam, like I look at it and go, it's, I agree with what you're saying, but at the same time, um, I actually think that Peter Law, Law not being there, you know, made Bankier a bit more suspect, if that makes sense. Like some of those well, questions would not have got asked or if they were asked, they would have been swatted down with one sentence. That's it. When they went to the shareholder Q&A. So, yeah. that's Yeah, but as you say, Bankier would not normally have to front those questions. Um yeah, it was interesting. But yeah, you don't you don't normally hear Bankier's voice. He's normally the silent partner there, isn't he? Which is interesting for a chairman. Yeah, no, he's the, the first um, time his voice. The one good thing about it was that Bankier was made to feel uncomfortable. If nothing else, the fact that it took intervention from from above to keep him in his position means that. They're going to have to do something to get get the you know the non-executive shareholders back on board. Um, I don't think it's going to be anything like the kind of change that fans want, but there's going to have to be some kind of concession at some point because they were not comfortable the other day, and they can't. I don't think they want to face another AGM like that, and they're probably hoping that we'll just win the league this year and it goes away. Yeah, I've yeah, got but... my thoughts on what's going to happen here with it. So I think Bankier will be out at the end of the year. Um, and then magically coming out of retirement, it will be Peter Law to take his spot. I'd be surprised. I, I feel like with, the, with his house getting set in fire and things like that, I feel like he might be happy to take a step back and stay there. Yeah, if it, if it does happen, though, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I'm a bit pissed about the whole... Um, Resolution 12 thing, just the whole... Like, the club could say... I just feel like they could publicly say a bit more. Like, it's the whole, yeah, we, we keep asking. We've asked every year. We're still asking this year. Like, really? Are you? Like, maybe strategically leak the emails from the SFA? You know, something like that? Like, the, nobody's buying it. It was like the whole thing when Lawwell said, sat in front of the AGM and categorically said he had never seen the five-way agreement. And then somebody leaked an email where he's one of the recipients that received it. Uh, him and somebody else on the Celtic board, I can't remember who. He's full of shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like there's a, there's a public recording of him denying having seen the five-way agreement. And then 
we get this evidence that he has seen it. And they're doing the same thing now. We're saying, yeah, yeah, we're pushing resolution 12. We're pushing this licensing issue. Well, how about you strategically leak some evidence of that because we're not buying it? Yeah, I have to agree with you there because I'm not believing that they are. But at the same time, I don't expect anything to change. I hope it does. I hope they actually pursue it. But the thing I found sus is they're happy to talk about why they renewed the old firm Monica trademark, but then it was we renewed it because so no one else can use it. But then they're not willing to, you know, follow up on what actually made that trademark not be usable, which is the five ways agreement, Rangers dying and all of that side of it. So the two of them tie in together. So it's selective here. Well, we'll talk about this bit, but we won't go into any of that other side in Resolution 12 and even push into it or develop it or work on it. So, yeah, it's a bit strange to me. Yeah, it'd be nice if yeah, someone asked. So, sorry, Sean, on you go. No, on you go. You go. Yep. I was just going to say that's the problem with the way these, I think to a certain extent these AGMs are rendered pointless because as long as the people can choose what they do and don't talk about, where's the genuine scrutiny? You know, it's all about controlling the narrative, Liam. That's what it is. I, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. And it's not, it's like for people who base their whole, like, their whole reason for being on professionalism and integrity and all this crap, the, the Celtic board conduct themselves in a very unprofessional way when it comes to these AGMs because they do not give any semblance of accountability. And they're very, very slow to communicate whenever there's an issue. But, you know, <laughs> I got my emails yesterday right on time Tell me the Christmas merchandise is out now. And the email with the Christmas video and all all the behind the scenes for all of that and everything, yep. 100%. The video was excellent, to be fair. The video was, was, was some good stuff. I'll give them that. That's why yeah, I didn't have to run sheet the Christmas video. <laughs> It's always good, but yeah, it's yeah. This is sad to not have Lee Griffiths there this year as an elf, a sex pest elf, you know. Um. <laughs> no, but don't worry, we upgraded. We got we got a, a salt bay, and we got Ken uh, Strachan with his laptop, and mm. to finish it off, we got a George Michael with Greg Taylor playing the guitar. Like you can't go past that Greg Taylor playing the guitar at the end. Like that's just made the whole video. Greg Taylor as the other guy in Wham that no one knows the name of. Exactly. <laughs> what is his name? Hold on, I'm gonna have to Google it. Andrew Ridgely. Oh, there you go. There <laughs> you go. The names of the guys in Wham. Yeah, of course. So, what... <laughs> so we we mentioned you mentioned it earlier, Sean, about um the about Bernard Higgins and his role at the club. So I've got the the presser that was sent out or the letter that was sent to Michael Nicholson from over 100 CSCs, bloggers, podcasts, etc. So it was like, dear Michael Nicholson, we the undersigned wish to state our objection to the rumoured appointment of Bernard Higgins as a member of Celtic's FC security staff in his role as Assistant Chief Constable with Police Scotland and as a National Strategic Lead for Football. Higgins has been responsible for police and football fans for almost a decade. In the period since he was appointed to this position, the policing of football matches has changed dramatically with the introduction of intrusive surveillance, 
the widespread use of football banning orders and a determination to arrest fans on spurious charges. This has caused irreparable damage to the lives of so many Celtic fans, as well as the relationship between supporters and Higgins himself. It must be made known that we will refuse to recognise or engage with Higgins if he is appointed, as his history makes him unsuitable candidate to be tasked with the responsibility of ensuring the safety and security of Celtic supporters. We ask that you address this issue and to reconsider such an appointment. It was signed by, originally signed by 10 different fan orgs, 13 fan media and online things, and then 112 different supporters clubs. Now, that's actually got up to over 200 different supporters clubs and everything all together now. Um, we went on the original one, but we'll be on the, on the updated one as well because I don't want him involved in my football club at all. The guy's absolute scum, and he's not what Celtic's about. Celtic's about raising people up. It's about, you know, supporting less fortunate and, you know, being part of a family. This guy tore families apart over football. So as far as I'm concerned, if he was on fire, I wouldn't piss on him to put him out. Yeah, just to, um, I, I totally agree with everything that was said. And generally, if you're using Don raids against people who sang, you know, sang offensive songs, that that seems like a bit of an extreme tactic. Uh, the only countenance I will give, and I'll, and I'll give it just because somebody in the world has to, is you could, and again, I don't know if this is the case or not, but you could maybe make the argument that he was enforcing a bad law. So he was doing a job. And so I guess what I'm saying is maybe the fault was with the legislator and not with him. But again, I'm not saying that's true or not. I'm just saying that's possible because uh, the Offensive Behaviour Football Act was repealed after a few years. So uh, was that because he was enforcing it in the wrong way or is it because the law was just a bad law, a bad rule that he was enforcing? Um Again, I still want happy to have my name on the petition. Don't want them, but there is that point of view out that needs to be voiced. Um, I think that continuing on to what you said there, Sean, it, maybe that is why the board even considered him in the first place. They thought this is a guy who is used to dealing with troublesome football fans, but. Being as out of touch as they are, they haven't realised the fact that most of those quote-unquote troublesome fans were actually innocent people that he was victimising under this law. And again, like you say, he was, well, <laughs> to use the old concentration camp guard argument, he was just following orders. Um, but, you know... Um, uh, my again, just my personal take on it is that if someone does something that's morally reprehensible, the fact that it was legal at the time doesn't excuse them doing it, in my opinion. And again, that's an opinion that you're, you're welcome to disagree with, and I'm sure a lot of people probably will. But I just think that has created a toxicity around his character, which means he could probably go on to have another successful career career in the private sector of some other maybe I don't know private security or something because he's clearly a very efficient police officer at what he does but what he does and what he did under that act makes him completely incompatible with Celtic 
Um, and I just, I'm shocked that the board even considered this guy. And to me, it just, it, it speaks to how out of touch they are. So I don't, I don't think even they would be that knowingly incompetent and dismissive of fans' concerns. There's a flow-on effect off the back of that as well, though, Liam, because, yeah, he was real bad to Celtic fans and everything, right? But it's not just the Celtic element of it. It's Scottish football in general. How many people from Aberdeen, how many people from Hibs, Hearts, Rangers, you know, up and down the country cop this across all the tiers? And if we want to be a club for change and try to grow and modernise Scottish football by bringing in financial fair play, by by having league structure changes so Colts teams can play in the in the third tier or the fourth tier instead of playing in the Lowland League. If we want to be about these sort of things, we're going to need a voting block. We're going to need to have people on our side. And you look at Hearts being a fan-owned club. Straight away, you're going to lose them as a vote because I know they copped quite a bit of shit from him as well. So you'll lose that vote, which we probably wouldn't have anyway, let's be honest, but that goes an option. Then Hibs had people because they've got a good um, a good little hooligan element going on over there from what I've been told. You'll have those guys against you. So you've got well, – you're going to have all these other clubs who may have been inclined to go with us and vote in a block to, you know, grow the league and – try and make it for the better that are now going to be like, fuck Celtic. They've hired this, this guy. No, thanks. And that's another element that you probably, not just in the here and now, but in the future that we probably don't need to get ourselves linked with and involved in. Yeah. Great point. Uh, And to also uh, elaborate on what Liam said about, um, uh, him maybe being an efficient, uh, you know, police officer and therefore suitable for a senior security role. Um, I would actually say, yeah, maybe he was great at many things and has many skills, but if he's going to be a senior security person at Celtic, then surely that a huge, huge part of that role has got to be relationships with supporters. And whether he has all the skills or not, he has. Uh, created or whether he created it or not is irrelevant. There is irreparable, irreparable damage between his relationship and the, and the supporters. So regardless of who's default, regardless of whether he's evil or the act is, uh, you know, all, all aside, you take all the blame off him. It doesn't matter. Uh, the relationship between the supporters and him is irreparable and he should be just uh, by a matter of fact, unsuitable for the role for that reason only if you take all the emotive reasoning out of it see just to 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 elaborate further on that and i totally agree with you um the the other thing i mean to kind of almost put a sort of reverse spin on what jared just said i think that celtic the celtic supporters as a group now we should be reaching out to these other clubs we should be reaching out to your Hearts fans, your Hibs fans, perhaps even some of your Rangers fans. And because I think it's in the, the greater interest of Scottish football that not just this Bernard Higgins character, but anybody who was involved in creating, implementing or enforcing that law 
should not be allowed any position of power anywhere near Scottish football. And that is something that I think all fans of all clubs should come together and I think we could actually agree on. And in my limited interactions with Rangers supporters, definitely, you know, the the, the literate ones at least, um, they agree with me. You know, they, they are in agreement that this is the one thing that that we all agree on, that this bastard should not be allowed anywhere near a football club. And um, it's uh, it's something that I think perhaps... It's good that our names are on that that petition, that letter, and I think it was very well worded. I think it gets to the point very well, very eloquently. And I, as as a member of this podcast, I'm happy to put my name to it as well. Um, but I think it would carry more weight if it was more than just the Celtic community complaining about it. I think this guy is a threat to all of Scottish football, not just Celtic. Oh, come on, and Liam. You gotta look at it. The the, the Berlin Buckfast crews on there. <laughs> <laughs> the company. Here's another wild idea. How about we all just follow the FIFA directive and just don't let the government get involved in the running of football? You know, wild one out there. Just chuck it out there. You know, mm. <laughs> if the Scottish government is legislating to try and manage football supporters, maybe don't. Maybe that's not a thing you should do doesn't work out well usually actually you know you raise an interesting point there i wonder what would happen if if a, a supporters group actually challenged the appointment in court and said look as a as a former government enforcer if you like he shouldn't be allowed to take a position with a, a sports team i mean i don't know where the legal where the legal battleground would be there but it'd be an interesting one to see that explode well, be, we've had we've had acting politicians on our board in the past, so I don't think that would go far. Actually, I, I joined Regan as well. At so. that point. Yeah. yeah, and then you got referees running the side. Um, oh, yeah, Douglas sorry, Ross. Fucking yeah. Douglas Ross. So it's a bit <laughs> complicated. But how many fucking jobs has he got? <laughs> three or something. But it's got to say, it takes a special kind of character to be shite at three different jobs at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's leave that one there then. And uh... he fucking loses thirty grand, but never fucking misses a Rangers penalty, does he? Aye. Anyway. Anyway, we'll just change change topics now. Unless you got any final things you want to add on the Higgins role? No, nah, I think we've said it all. Good. So there's a couple of um, rumors floating around the last couple of days. So Scott Bain's apparently going to get a contract extension. What are your thoughts on that, Sean? Depends how much he's getting paid. Um... Fine. I'd prefer, look, yes, uh, my thoughts on him are the same as the ones that I have about Stephen Welsh and to a lesser extent, Anthony Ralston. Look, you need squad players that are reliable, dependable, you can trust. He's trustworthy. Uh, is he going to win you a tie against Lazio in the Europa League like Fraser Foster did? Nope. Uh, is he going to win you a League Cup final? against when you're having an absolute shit day at the office, like Fraser Foster did. No, he's not. Uh, but you need these squad players in and around. And I would, I'm would, i happy with that. Happy he's staying. Uh, as long as it's not for too much. Not, as long as it's not stupid money. If it's still squad player money, you know, like whatever they offered Craig Gordon when he left. But if it's that level, then that's fine. So my concern is, okay, we've got Joe Hart as our experienced goalkeeper. We've got Connor Hazard, we've got Ross Dillon, we've got 
the guy in the in the Colts at the moment, who's England under twenty one goalkeeper. If we sign him up, if we sign up Bain, we're blocking the development pass for those guys coming through. Oh, so sorry. Me, yeah, sorry. So for me, I'd let him go, and I'd just be pushing. Okay, Connor Hazard, you become the backup, the full time backup next season to Joe Hart, and then the young kids, you can put them on loan or whatever. Going forward, get them year, year experience. Send them somewhere like Dundee, United, Dundee, somewhere in the Premiership. Get some experience in them, and off you go. That's what I would do. But what what do you think, Liam? To be honest, um, I I think that it, it goes with what Ange is seeing in training, and he's obviously seen that. I mean, we spoke earlier about how Ange is very keen to praise players that contribute even when they're not playing regularly, and maybe he's watching Bain in training and he's thinking the guy's attitude's excellent. He knows he's not going to get a game while Joe Hart's fit, but he is applying himself very well and he's earned that new deal. Um, I think Scott Bain is a a perfectly competent Scottish league-level goalkeeper. I wouldn't want him playing for us in Europe. I wouldn't want him playing for us in a cup final, but or against Rangers. But I think for your, you know... (laughs) home tie against Dundee or whatever where you want to rest a couple of players after after a busy European night, he's perfectly fine. Perfectly serviceable. I understand what you're saying about him blocking the progress of other keepers, but that's on those other keepers to show that they're better than him. I think the reason Bain is getting a new contract now is because he has clearly shown he's better than Barkas. Because Barkas will be out the door directly. I think that's that's inevitable. Yep. So... Yep. I think Ange is making a statement here that Bain is now the number two, and that is set in stone. So in the same way that Bain dethroned Barkas, it's up to the next keeper, whether it be Hazard or Doohan or this boy with the Colts, to come up and show that they're good enough to dethrone Bain. My question about Bain is, if he's going to get his contract, does that mean he can he play left back? Because <laughs> that's the only way, the only way he'd stay, in my opinion. If he, if he could go out there and just run up and down the wing, play some left back, or just you know run up a bit and then tuck, tuck in. Yeah, if he could play left back, good. Otherwise, no. Nah. Well, he's been left back in the changing room often enough. Ba-dum, dum. Ba-dum. Uh. Yeah, sorry, Jared. I kind of half interrupted you, but something that I didn't, a point that I wanted to make, but didn't actually. Uh, say out loud was that I was happy for him to stay but I'd like for him to become the number three at the moment he is the number two but as you alluded to I would like to see someone else step up whether that's a new signing uh, or whether it's a youth player I would prefer to see someone else overtake him maybe Scott Baines learning a lot from Joe Hart and becoming shit hot as a number two maybe I don't see it but um, yeah but you're right I agree with what you're saying is like Joe Hart uh, Scott Baines sorry um, should be the number three, but currently is the number two. And I would also like that situation to change and how that changes, I'm not quite clear at the moment. If it's we sign someone else, it's going to be a number one, great. If it's somebody else steps up, great. But I, I still would prefer to have... Like, just looking at the squad, he is the second best goalkeeper. That's just a fact. Do you know what I mean? So keep him on squad wages is what I'm saying. Just to... Jump onto something Liam said. He goes, he wouldn't play Bain in the cup final. 
but I'd play I'd play Hazard in there. Well, Hazard played the last cup final, didn't he? Exactly. That's why I said it. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> the, the last trophy that we won as a club, who was our starting goalkeeper that day? There he is. And he nearly cost us it by shipping two very simple goals, if I remember correctly. And also uh, saved two, two penalties, so you pick and choose. Yeah, right. I think I think the, the response there is, well, well done for undoing a problem that you created. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, yeah, he, he is a cup-winning goalkeeper. I, I, can't, I can't argue with that. But for me, he's not there yet. He's yeah. not. I think Bain is more dependable than, than Hazard at this point. <sighs> Hazard needs a full year playing football somewhere. I was just about to say that, Sean. I was going to say, give him a full yeah. year playing in the Scottish Premiership as number one goalkeeper. So if Xander Clark moves on to St. Johnson, like there's some rumours out there at the end of the season, talk is he could be going across to Rangers, then that's where you'd send Hazard for a full year. Go be the goalkeeper at St. Johnson. I think that would be a good good spot for him. Ideally, a typically lower half of the Premier League team where he's going to be tested every week because he's going to have to make plenty of saves. Oh, so St Mirren, perfect. There you go. Yeah, yeah, something like that would be ideal. <laughs> and look, if he gets bombed out of one of these teams, well then, he's not going to get in our fucking team, is he? If he's going to get bombed out at St Johnson. Hang on a second. What happened to Ralston at St Johnson? Oh, okay, I stand corrected. <laughs> he got anyway. Me. Anyway, next, next rumour was... Uh, John Suter to Celtic or Rangers on a free transfer? Yes or no? Yes. Sign him up, please. My only concern is injury history. After watching him play for Scotland last week, hell yes. Get it done and get it done quickly. That guy is is the business. Yes. I wanted to sign him when he was at Dundee United, so I'd take him in a heartbeat. He scored as many goals for Scotland as Callum McGregor. <laughs> I thought it was when he was at Dundee United we absolutely ripped them apart when Jackie Mack was the manager there so we took Shifty we took Armstrong we took Mackay Stevens why didn't we take him it was the one that I was looking at their lineup that I'm like should have taken, should have taken him then so yeah get him in don't even muck around if that means you get him in and then that, that means what well, goes out on loan for a full year I could, I could live with that Especially if he's on a free. If he's on a free, we need to jump on it. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody said 1st of December or something. That doesn't sound right to me. Somebody said, like, he can start talking on 1st of December. Is that right? Yeah, because it'll be his contract to be up into the season. So it's six months for a Bosman. You can arrange your pre contract. Usually that's 1st of January, is it not? Depends when his contract ends. Yeah, I guess we just don't know. Because when was Christie's contract? Yeah, oh, that was a stupid one, wasn't it? December contract. I remember James Forrest before he signed this when uh, Rogers came in. James Forrest was the same. He had six months up to December left in his contract. That was a weird one. I don't know why you'd ever do that. Yeah, it's a bit of a strange one. All right, so what we'll do is we'll jump into our Q and A. Liam has dropped out here, so we'll be back in once he's on there. But okay, Sean, I've got our. Billy, Birdie and Bobby asked us, will the Rangers 2 turn into the Rangers 3? The short answer is no. Uh, And the reason for that is simple in that they have no debt. Uh, They are trading well and solvent. 
But if you have no debt, when you go into administration, you don't have any debtors to pay off. You just um, uh, you just sack players and get your balance sheet in order and, and you keep going. You come out of administration. Uh, most Scottish teams that have gone into administration have done that. Obviously, teams like Gretna and Clyde Bank have died uh, because they had too much debt to to resolve. But uh, teams like Hearts, Partick Thistle, um, I, I can Hearts twice. Uh, I'm not sure who else, but plenty of teams Mother go into administration. Motherwell, yeah. Plenty of teams go into administration and come back out of it. It's to do with the level of debt, not the level of insolvency. Uh, so, no, but I do see an administration event in the future if they don't win the league this year. All right, Liam, I'll give you the next question. Okay. What is a realistic target for the team this year? Is a league and cup double possible? How do you rate the team's progression so far under Ange? Um, a month ago, I would have said, a month ago, I would have said putting in a good challenge in the league and running Rangers close and winning a cup would have been enough. But now... No, I think we can win this league. I think we can def- we can definitely win the cup final against Hibs, although that'll be a tough game because they're you know, they're a team that are capable. Um I think League Cup and League Double is my expectation now. A treble is possible. Especially if as you guys were just talking about when I cut out for a minute there about um about Rangers inevitable implosion. Um we could find ourselves winning the league by about fifteen points, possibly if they have to have the fire sale in January that I think they might. I'm just gonna voice my concern that the Giovanni Van Bronckhurst has a record which suggests he's a good manager and I would have preferred that Gerard stayed because it was crumbling around him and I I would have fancied our chances more with Gerard still in place than I do now with an unknown and previously successful manager in place. Just, just yeah. voice that. I, don't I, know how I, I think they've upgraded I, their manager. I, I would, I would agree with that because I think that there's a lot of comparisons you can make between where Rangers are now and where we were about November last year. The cracks were clearly there and the manager needed to be moved on. But the difference is circumstances are such that Rangers have actually made the cut in October, which had we done the same with Neil Lennon last season, we might well have ended up winning the league. So yeah. that is that is the concern. It's just, I think the, fin- the financial side of it adds an extra advantage to us because they are going to have to unload players in January. Now, Van Bronckhurst is an excellent coach from what I've read about his record um, had an indifferent time in China but the Chinese league is basically just a money laundering racket so I don't think you can really judge him on that Yeah, no um, for that. <laughs> I, and um, no he's, he, he's he's a decent manager and like you say I think it is an upgrade on Gerard, and especially the way Rangers were headed under Gerard at the moment um, but we won't know because until we see what his Rangers team looks like and how it plays and how the players respond to him. You know, it could go the way of they have a resurgence and end up, you know, winning the league. 
or it could go the Paul Le Guin way, where the, the, the players just do not buy into him at all. Unlikely, but possible, because Le Guin was also a fantastic manager before he came to Rangers. And he was a decent manager after he left Rangers. It just, at Rangers, his approach did not work. And there's no guarantee that Van Bronckhorst's approach will work either. So we'll just need to wait and see. But as Ange said the other day, it's more about what we do and less about what they do. We need to keep progressing. And if we strengthen in January, as I expect we will, and we clear out some of the dead wood to free up the, the money to bring in some real quality, I think, yeah, I'm still going to stand by it. League Cup and League Double, possibly treble. That's my my expectation for the rest of the season. The last question we had, and I'll answer this, was the rumours of Moy being a potential signing is very exciting. Just curious as to get your respective takes on how you would see him fitting into this squad. Would we be looking at a starting 11 midfield of Turnbull or, or Rogic with Moy and McGregor? For me, I don't, I, and I'm, the reason I'm going first on this is because the token Aussie on the pod here, I don't want Moy <laughs> Celtic. I would have taken Moy if we hadn't, if we had have signed him instead of signing McCarthy. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see a spot for him in our squad. I think we need a pure defensive midfielder, a number six. Moy's more an eight to a 10. He's not the sort of player that we need in terms of for the role, the weak spot in our midfield. I'm going to disagree slightly, but only. But I mean, I agree with what you're saying about uh, you know, he has to take the place of Rogic or Turnbull, uh, and he's not as good or has, and it doesn't have better value than either of those players. Those are both better players. But something we've talked about in past pods is building squad depth, and I think having an international footballer as your uh, next man up after Rogic and Turnbull is no. No bad thing. And I get I know James McCarthy, international footballer, but he's not cut it yet. So even if we've got two international footballers, you know, like if they're all available and firing, then we kind of could do with that depth and quality, I think. Uh, I get, but I, again, I agree with what you're saying. Like he should not be replacing Rogic or Turnbull. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest and recuse myself from this because it's a player I know very little about. Um, all I'll say is I've, I've not been impressed with McCarthy thus far. And if this is a guy who plays a similar role but is better, then I'd be open to it. But I don't know enough about the guy to make a, a fair judgment one way or the other. Can I also make a link a linking point here? Uh, when Jared, what you were saying about we need a defensive midfielder, because in the moment our defensive midfield is Callum McGregor. Well, actually, near Bitton technically is number two, and Sorrow seems to be bombed out. Um, I don't know if you picked up on what Hibs did at the weekend, uh, where they dropped Gogic from their team and put a young kid in to the midfield instead, so they could basically uh, outrun Rangers with the legs. Uh, excuse me, Sefco. So they, they put Josh Campbell in, who's barely played a game this year. He's played about three games or something. Took Alex Gogic out and put the young legs in and they basically just overran Rangers with dynamism in the midfield. Uh, so that might be something to think about in terms of uh, if you're looking at signing a defensive midfielder, 
Luke O'Connell. <laughs> Bring him back or, from Queen's Park. Or Henderson or Robertson then. One of those guys could they're not they're not a pure number six, but yeah. I don't know. I just think boy, the money he'd be on for the role that he plays, he'd be good for squad depth, but yeah, I just don't don't think it's if he comes to the club, great. I'd support it because another Aussie at the club means more more Celtic in the papers over here. So I wouldn't <laughs> complain about it from a purely selfish perspective, but I don't think it's what the club and the squad actually needs right at this exact moment. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. I, I, I've totally appreciate everything you're saying and I, my point still stands that, like, fine, if we can get him on a good value that reflects he is not a starter, then fine, I would definitely have him. But if you're signing him as a starter, which he would probably expect to be, then I don't think that's a good signing. All right, so we'll quickly just cap off the last couple of topics because I think you've got to go, Sean, if my – yeah, because I thought, you know, I saw you waving before, like, hang on, hang on, I won't be long. <laughs> No, my wife interrupted. I was just saying hi. Ah, fair enough. I'm just that. <laughs> All right. So we've got Leverkusen away in the Europa League Thursday night. What are you expecting to see out of that? Apparently Leverkusen's got a bunch of injuries at the moment. So, and they're in a bit of a poor form. So for me, I don't expect to win. If we get a draw, I'll be happy with that. That we need a draw. If we don't like, we if we don't get anything, we're pretty much out. Because Betis are going to win against Ferencváros. Because Ferencváros yeah. are totally out. They're not going to be giving a shit. So Betis at home are definitely going to get something. They're going to get three points. Sorry, against Ferencváros. Yes, that means so, they'll be four ahead. So if we get the draw, that gets it three points, and then it's all to play for in the last one. Yep. Uh, so we need a, a draw. To be honest, a draw is the same as a win for us. To be honest, in terms of what we need in the final game uh, I, I wasn't fully aware of the Leverkusen injuries but I was aware of their catastrophic loss of form uh, whereby the last time we played them they were sitting second in the league and when I checked last week they were sixth so they have been kind of dropping down the table uh, there's a there's a possibility there is a possibility there because they're and, and the reason I say that is because they're in this year and in, in the last couple of years there's been a real uh, evening out of our home and away form, and I, I don't know if that's down to the, the whole supporters and COVID thing, but um, I actually like in the past it was just assumed we would lose away games, whereas now it just feels like there's, there's a chance. A, yeah, yeah, like you, you give us a bit of a handicap for being away, but like it doesn't feel like an automatic loss anymore. So I feel that like there's a possibility there, and I'm I'm. I want to say I'm, I'm I'm I don't want to say I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful. I'm not optimistic. I am hopeful. I still think we'll lose by two, but I'm well, hopeful. How I found out about the injuries was I was listening to Cynic and um Graham Mackay lives in Germany and he was one of his former students works at the club. And yeah, what he was saying is they've had a bunch of injuries to the point that they're playing guys out of position in midfield. So they're playing like with two two number sixes and the guys that are playing there are the equivalent of Rogic. And Buton playing together at the moment. Is so, Havertz fit or injured? Do we know that? Don't know. Nah, nah. Well, he's the main man, but I don't know if he's 
Yeah, so um, it'll, this will be an interesting one. Liam, what, what are you hoping for score-wise? I think a draw is a definite possibility because we, although the scoreline shows that we got a doing last time, we created enough chances. I mean, Kyogo could easily have had a hat-trick that night um, to show that we can get in behind their defence and we can create against them. And they seem to be combination of injuries and form, they seem to be in a, a weaker position now than they were then. Now, that can go one of two ways. It could mean we've got a chance. Or it could also mean Europe might suddenly be their best chance of a trophy this season and they might go all out to absolutely smash us. Um, so, I don't know. It's To me, it's a free hit because I, as soon as this draw was made, I said, if we get into the conference, I'm happy with that. And that's still the position I'm in, but no, I, I say we just, you know, do what, we, do what we've always done under Ange this season. Just go out there and play football and you never know. We might just we might just get something. Do you, do you think that's a long-term problem for us that no matter what competition we're in or what group we're drawing in, we always say, oh, we're happy with third place or we'd be happy, you know, like if we're in the Champions League. I'm not happy with third place. But we I want to stay in the Europa League. Like, I, after the first game against Mitchelland, I didn't expect to even be in the Europa League. So the fact that we're in it, I was like, I could care less. But now we're in it, and a chance to still sneak up in and get second spot. I want us to go all out and get second spot. I don't want to go to the Conference League. But but it's always the same narrative every time, you know. And and part of the reason we've not won a knockout game in Europe since, uh, uh, other than qualifying rounds since two thousand and four. So, was it yeah. 17 years? Was it Bar- Barcelona, I think, was the last team we knocked out of Europe in a two-leg tie, uh, other than qualifying? So, yeah, yeah I think I mean? that's a valid point. Um, although, I'm guilty of it, because I said, you know, I'd be happy with the conference. I think that's the difference between perhaps a team like Celtic and a team of similar size but that seem to perform better in Europe like I don't know just say for example a Shakhtar Donetsk or a um, trying to think of an example you know these teams from relatively unfancied leagues that seem to always do pretty well in the Champions League I mean I think there was was FC Sheriff or something this season beat Real Madrid yep um, yeah, that, you know, was, that was officially the biggest upset in Champions League history, though. Aye, but but again, that's because they approached that with a completely fearless attitude. What are they to lose, really? Dragon, no. you expected to be there? Sorry, say that again. I said, what are they got to lose? Do you think any of them expected to be there? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm. But my point is that there is, and I think Sean's touching on this. Because of the way Scottish football is constantly put down by, well, mostly by English commentators, and the fact that most people in Scotland tend to just play along with that narrative rather than try and oppose it, people like me end up falling into a trap where we're actually just accepting mediocrity instead of being that FC sheriff that's going to step up and Gabriel Madrid when nobody expects it. You know? We mentally say... Oh, no, of course, we'll go out and have a goal, but subliminally we're thinking, third place would be all right, looking at these teams, these are decent teams. 
Whereas a team like FC Sheriff are like, we shouldn't even be here, so bugger it, let's just go out and give our all and see what happens. And yeah. we need to regain that attitude. That was the attitude that got us to Seville. You know? And fans of Italian, German and Spanish teams are all like, if they lose if they lose a game, they're like, we shouldn't be losing against these shite. I mean, they, they take the same attitude that we do when Celtic play Levinson. Aye, yeah. You know, yeah. like, it's a disaster. If Man United lose to Atalanta, it's a disaster. Whereas, if you, the same way we think about it is losing to, to Levinson. Whereas if we lose, if Celtic lose to Atalanta in a game, we're like, uh, they're a good team. Uh, we were hoping for third was a realistic target anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. then, uh, I'm not saying that's not... I'm not saying that's a wrong attitude to have. I'm just saying that's that's just been the norm for so long now. We're just stuck in it. We're ingrained in it. And I, I think it's to... a narrative that's just been pushed for so long that it's become ingrained and it's very hard to break. Is there a way out of it? I don't know. Probably not, to be honest. Not, like, not even... unless there's widespread reform of European football, but that's becoming increasingly unlikely. Yeah, like it's every 10 years or something a team will break the mould like Ajax when they got to the semi-final uh, when you had Monaco in the in the Champions League final stuff like that like mm. in, twice actually I think uh, and then they just get picked apart do you know what I mean like it's so rare for a team to break that mould <sighs> can you break that narrative I don't I don't know I don't think so to be honest yeah I think up until about maybe five or six years ago, you could have, but the big, the big, four, the big four or five leagues in Europe now have just got so much of the cash, and they're just milking more and more every year, and they're pulling further and further away. That that Super League idea got blown out the water last season, and good because it was just based on pure greed. But unfortunately, I think we're just delaying the inevitable. There, something like that is going to happen because these teams are going to get bored of the fact that teams outside of their their financial sphere are becoming increasingly unable to challenge them as time goes on. I, I, I didn't verify this, but I read I, I read on Twitter or somewhere, it was more official than Twitter, that when we, in the Martin O'Neill era, we were the 14th highest wage bill in Europe or something like that. And like, obviously we're, we're going to be nowhere near that now. Do you know what I mean? Like, Pretty much every English Premier League team's above us, so we'd be twenty-one if we just put it, if we were in a UK league. Do you know what I mean? Nah, not even that, Sean. I can. Tell you. They, actually <laughs> exactly. a, they actually did a thing on that about two or three seasons ago. I think it was Rogers last year at the club, right? Mm-hmm. You know where our wage bill matched up then, compared with in the whole of the UK. No, we were in the we were like forty-third or forty-fourth or something UK. like that. Okay. Yeah, UK. So there was us. So there was all the championship teams had bigger wage bills, and then there was us. Jesus, that's crazy. Does not really surprise me that much, though, when you look at the money that's floating about that championship. Um, and by English standards, at, at least a lot of the historically big clubs that are in that league. You know, you know, clubs like Nottingham Forest. Derby County, um, Millwall, you know, these are are quite big clubs by English standards. And they're all, you know, the bulk of wage bill is much bigger than Celtic because they can afford to because of the TV money. The the parachute payments they get when they drop out of the Premier League, they get three years of payments or something. It's ridiculous. 
Uh, it's it, it's the I don't know the exact figure, but it's in the hundreds of millions, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's literally a hundred million. It's a hundred million yeah. spread over three years or something like that. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was four, but it's something like that. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Right. But anyway, so just to clarify on what I said earlier, I said Kai Havertz, who's a Chelsea player. I meant Florian Verts, who is the next Barrel Everkusen wonder kid, and he's apparently not injured. Fair enough. Well, last thing I wanted to touch on for the Leverkusen game. Uh, Rangers have banned Chris Sutton from, you know, doing the whole <laughs> BT Sports thing again at their stadium. So both Europa League games for Celtic and Rangers will be broadcast from an empty Celtic park. <sighs> Big heads. Rangers better win that game because if they don't pick Sutton, is going to absolutely go to town on them. <laughs> Do you know, I remember, I remember what was it, ten years ago, whatever. But in their previous, previous guys of Rangers, whatever it was, before pre-liquidation Rangers, and they used to literally call themselves Dignity FC, like the fans would literally call themselves that. Like, yes, class and everything we do. I guess that died in twenty twelve. The irony is, most of them probably couldn't even spell Dignity. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Judging by some of the banners I've saw, that is actually a, a factual statement, I think. <laughs> Deluded FC. There we go. Yeah. Uh, All right. So, had a good laugh at the Hunjet. Can we just remind everybody they got gubbed by Hibs on Sunday? It was a. Uh... Who? Who got gubbed? <laughs> the Huns. Who? I, I seen some. Sorry, I seen the best team in Edinburgh won a game. Who were they playing? Was it some wee team for Glasgow that's never won a trophy? Aye. Never won a cup, <laughs> sorry, I should say. Sorry, that, <laughs> sorry, that's that's unfair as well. They, they have won a cup. They won the Petrol Fact Challenge Cup. I forgot about that. Aye, aye, the Penny Sweetie Cup or whatever it was called. Aye, yeah. Um. yeah. <laughs> However, on their result, did you see the good punch on, on, the, on the freeway? Afterwards, no. Oh yes, <laughs> it was kicked off. A bus was getting attacked by Rangers fans, and people got out and started punching on. It was brilliant. Some oh. good and the, the best one was this person filmed it from their car while holding their dog in their lap, so that it looked like the dog was filming it and commentating what was happening. Ah, <laughs> uh, brilliant! All right, ban- so ban- three years are back. Yep. Celtic Aberdeen on Sunday. We touched on it a bit earlier. Score predictions, guys. We'll just quickly breeze over that. I think that game will be one in the midfield in terms of we when they've got Bruni returning to Celtic Park, they've got Old Mate alongside him, Ferguson. We're going to have to match the physicality in the middle of the park. Bruni will be playing centre-back, though. What's that? Bruni will be playing centre-back. Oh, yeah. He's been playing centre back since with all the injuries they've got in defence. Fair enough. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, they've Ferguson matter. and McCrory in midfield. Yeah, they've got. But still, I think that's where the that's where the game will be won. But yeah, I'm looking at it going. I think we'll win at three one. But yeah, um, they've got as far as I know, Ojo. Did you see what happened to him? <laughs> what a what a clusterfuck. Yeah, so he's he'll be suspended because they can't rescind the yellow card. But yeah, anyway, he was he got attacked by the fan, a, a Dundee United fan, then got a red card for it because but because it was a second yellow, they can't appeal it. 
so he's going to be suspended. And he was playing in centre mid to fill in for because they've had so many injuries in centre back that Scott Brown's having to play back there. I think they've got like three or four centre backs injured, uh, and a left back and a right back as well. Um, so that yeah, but they're basically it, it, the further back you go, the more bare bones they are. Uh, so I, yeah, I agree. We did a good job on them when we played them at Pataudry, and I think we'll be more comfortable uh, this time. I think we'll have the legs to overcome them. Uh, and I agree with what you're saying about their midfield is their strong point uh, with Ferguson and McCrory, and I'm not sure who'll be the third one there. Maybe it will be Brown if Ojo suspended. Um, but uh, yeah, that's where it'll be won and lost, I think. And I, I think... Mm, I actually think one though. I, I think they'll be back. I think they'll park the bus. I think we'll end up winning one now. Uh, and I don't necessarily think it'll be a late goal. I just think it'll be one of those ones, you know, where they hope to get a set piece to level things up. I'm going to um, go a wee bit more optimistic and say 3 0. Um, I think it'll be one of those games that'll be tough for the first 40 minutes to an hour because, like, like Sean said, I think. Aberdeen are going to go on a damage limitation exercise. Um, but I think it'll be one of them that once we score one, they'll crack. And assuming that we get that first goal with at least half an hour to go, I think we could get a couple more. So I, I'm going to say 3-0. Can, can I also make a point about this game? It really pissed me off uh, when, I, when I learned about this. Uh, I was just chatting to one of my pals the other day and I was like, you know, we're just trying to be going to the club to watch games. And I was like, oh, when's the next Saturday night game? I was like, got my app out. And I was looking, I was like, Sunday, 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 Sunday. So so when do you think the next Saturday night game is? Or so, sorry, Saturday night for us. But it's Saturday at all for people in Scotland's game. Is it the cup final? Nope, that's a uh, Sunday. It would be the New Year's game against the Hans, wouldn't it? That's a Sunday. Next game oh, is the 29th of January. Is it oh, right? Saturday game? Sake. So we've more... five classes on a Monday morning. That's no fair. Yeah. So so St Johnson there was a Saturday game, and the next Saturday game we have is more than two months away from that. That's what happens that is... when we get in the Europa League. There you go. But but it's even stuff like we've got a, a league game on a Thursday night. Do you know what I mean? Shit like that. Like. Ah. <laughs> oh. Well, if any of my kids are listening in, first of all, that guy that you heard swearing earlier on that sounds like me wasn't me, but you get before warned you're going to get a grumpy Liam sensei for the next couple of Mondays if this is what's happening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, granted, there's two weekends off in January, but still, that's that's still something like six or seven Sunday games in a row. Like, it's... I'm not happy. I'm not a happy camper. Uh, I've got to say, Sean, is at least it's a bit of more manageable hour for you than it is for us. So suck it up, princess. <laughs> yeah, when Hibs got that cup final move back an hour, I was delighted. That means it's 11 instead of uh, midnight. Yep. Uh, it's not going to make much difference over here. I think it's still 2 a.m., so good fun. <laughs> yeah, it is actually worse for you guys. You'd have been better off getting up at 3 a.m. Middle of the night. It'd be like, I don't know if, what I'm going to do, but... We'll figure it out. Anyway, we'll um, wrap up the pod with our final thoughts. And um, But before we do that, I just want to pass on condolences to John and his family on the passing of John's grandmother. Um, 
you know, you're in the best spot at the moment, John, as I've said to you, around your family back, back home in Scotland. So um, take care. Much love to your family. And, uh, yeah, if you need anything, let us know. Yeah, thinking about you, man. And just just on the sorry, um, just on the subject of condolences as well. Like my final thought was related to that too, uh, and that was um, I don't know if you guys seen the tweet that I shared. Was uh, last year I played in a charity football match, and I, I, I played with uh, not with on the same pitch as Gary Stevens, who ex Rangers player Gary Stevens, and it was. Uh, the, the, the match was to raise money for his uh, child who had leukemia and, and he died uh, this week. Uh, I, I believe he's four or five years old, Jack Stevens. Uh, so I just, that was my final thought for today was just also, uh, sorry, I don't want to take away from John's uh, message, but it's just been, a, I guess it's a really rough week for condolences and I just wanted to highlight that one as well. Uh, and, I, and I saw... Axom and myself and, and lots of other people uh, retweeting the, the official Rangers Football Club statement on uh, that condolence too. So sad, sad times for for a lot of people at the moment, unfortunately. Uh, much more serious than football and we, we all recognise that. Yeah, I'm just going to echo those sentiments. I think you, you two have both summed it up far more eloquently than I can. Just John, we're all thinking about you, mate. And, um, you know, I lost my Uncle Frank in similar circumstances not that long ago. And you guys were there for me when when I needed help. And, uh, well, I think it goes without saying we're all here for you, mate. And uh, we hope, you're, hope you and your family are well. And uh, we wish you all the best. And on the, the note of uh, Gary Stevens' kid as well, that's... Um, it's absolutely tragic to lose a kid, but it's also it's especially tragic when it's one that has been fighting such a horrible disease for so long. Um, you know, I, I I I lost quite a close friend to cancer during the summer as well, and it's 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 the most sickening thing to watch someone so full of life just wasting away. And um, here's hoping the scientists get their act together, and sooner or later we find a cure for this god awful thing because it takes far too many good people every year. Absolutely, yeah. Liam. So I'll go with my final thought then and then we'll let you finish off, Liam, because you normally have a good good one for a laugh and then whatever. So I just want to say, Ryan Porteous, take a bow, son. The trolling job after the cup final in that interview, well played. Well, I'm, uh, of course, if you're listening to the audio version, if you won't see this, but I am tonight wearing a Green Lantern hoodie. That was a, a very nice gift from my, uh, my, my well, now my wife. Um, so I'm going to recite the Green Lantern Oath with a Scottish twist. In brightest day and in blackest night, no evil can escape his sight. For those who know Green Lantern's might, never forget, the Rangers are shite! How <laughs> <laughs> how to that? Thanks for listening, everyone. Hell, hell. Hell, hell.